I'd like to welcome everybody. I'd like to welcome those who are watching on live stream tonight. I know that there are some people that are that are home, not feeling well, uh, couldn't quite make it. Perhaps the storm, the weather. Uh, I see Tom and Joan aren't here tonight, but sometimes it, when it's rainy, when, pardon me? They are away. Okay, well, they're away. Okay, good. To, that's right, about the wedding. That's right. Okay, well, welcome to live stream. It's good to see everyone tonight. Um, it is an honor and a blessing to be here, to be able to share with you and open God's word, as always. Um, I do have some announcements. I rarely do announcements, but there are a couple things. Uh, next week, we will be having a, uh, well, actually, let me back up and tell you why. The, the seating will be different next week. All this for the next two weeks. Let me explain what's going to happen. This church is uh, their main sanctuary. They're rebuilding and reconstructing and renovating. So they're going to be having their services in here on Sunday. So they're going to restructure the room with just, it'll look like a mini sanctuary, probably like it looked like originally when they met in here in the early days. So, you know, so we'll speak from here, but it'll be all just chairs like a church, like a regular church for the next two weeks. Next week, um, will not be uh, live stream. It's actually going to be, I'm so excited about, I was in, I get to be in staff meetings usually during the summers when I was teaching because I was available. So I, it's one of the most beautiful things on Tuesday mornings to go to staff meetings. But before the staff meeting is a service planning meeting where Pastor Greg sits down and explains what he's going to be preaching on and, and with the, the text and the narrative and we, Deb, she, she gets an understanding of where that's going, about how to build the certain content for media for that. Brenton, this is what I love about our church. Brenton hears that, and he doesn't just pick songs by whatever keys are available. He listens to what the message is going to be about, and then selects songs that honor and reflect what the truth is in the message. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, so... Um, I don't even know where I was going with that story. That's the problem. Oh, no, I got it. I came back. It came back. Sorry. Okay, so here's where I was going. This weekend, that's what <laughs> my, your brain goes when you retire. That's right. This weekend, Pastor Greg, it, just right out of the text, we're just going through Nehemiah. What a wonderful book. And he's actually going to be uh, talking about uh, Nehemiah's prayer. And, and, and in that prayer, it is clearly laid out how we should pray. We get to, we, so sometimes we get questions, well, how, how should we pray and what, what should that look like? And, and is it just, are we just asking for things or are we, but, but, but by the end of Sunday morning, you will understand what a good model of prayer is from the book of Nehemiah. And so after that, on Wednesday, I'm going to, I'm going to reinforce that with a class on prayer here, right here in this room. Now, it's going to be a BYOB, and I don't mean Bible, and I don't mean booze. No, it's not. It's no. We oh, okay. We're not. We're, we're going to have food. No food. Well, okay, that's what my, I guess my point was. Well, no, no, don't bring food. You can bring water bottles, like we, because it's going to be set up with. Am I correct in that? I just want to. Okay, yes. All right, I was correct, and I stand corrected. We're going to have um, no snacks. Is that fair to say that? No snacks. Okay. It, so and no and no coffee because we want to honor their chairs and their floors and all those things because it'll be this will be their church service room for the next two weeks so know that we will have a class obviously next week and we're going to have it'll just be more like a, a formal type thing so no snacks make sure you eat before you come um whew, got in trouble there okay so um the following week 
we're still weighing out exactly, no, I'm sorry, the following week will be our annual business meeting right here in this room, and it'll be set up just like a business meeting. So it's a, it's a regularly scheduled annual business meeting. The date would be October 4th, and that'll be a Wednesday, uh, 6.30. That will be a, 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 a regular business meeting, like we always have every year. Go over the budget, go over the things, and so that's what we're gonna have, so. And it's gonna be here, yes, yep. So just to let you know, yes, Maureen. Yes. First step class will be here. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. So that's my announcements. It's yet to be determined what book we're going to do next. Um, it's been really neat going through the Old Testament. I never thought in a million years that I would learn so much about God's character and his moving among the hands of people and, and using fools and the faithful and people's failures to have his plan go forward. And it's just been a wonderful thing. We started in Samuel. We went through all the kings, doing Esther. We did Ruth. We did Esther. So we'll see where we land next. So I'm just excited to be a part of it. Um, so, well, let me go ahead and open us up in prayer. Um, and then at the end, like we did last week, after the live stream stops, I'll open it up for prayer request also. And that way, and then I will conclude in prayer, uh, that, that, you know, um, the, the prayer after we have requests. So I just want to let you know how that's going to look. So let's go to the Lord tonight in, in prayer. Father God, we, uh, we thank you as always for your goodness and your grace and your mercy on us, Lord. Uh, I'm speechless uh, knowing how much you love us and care for us and how we see that through the scriptures from page one to the very end. Lord, I just appreciate everything you do for us, Lord, and thank you for bringing us all here tonight. Lord, I ask especially that you, you, uh, you minister to each and every person here tonight through the work of your Holy Spirit as you illuminate the text for us, Father. We know that as we read the scriptures, we know that you have a meaning for what it means, but we have the Holy Spirit that ministers to us in that. Uh, we all have, are coming from different days, different weeks, and uh, we pray that you... Uh, you're just with us tonight as we study your word. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So let me just give you an overview, a summary. I like to kind of get, kind of do a 30,000-foot view. This has been, and we're actually going to conclude the book tonight. It's just a, an incredible book. There's a lot of really unique parallels. It, be, it begins with a feast, and it ends with a feast. It begins with a war shortly after, and it ends with a war. Um, there's very unique things. Remember last week we talked about about Haman's fall coinciding with Mordecai and Esther's rise and how the Lord just orchestrated two things at once together. And we're going to see a little bit more of that tonight in this text. It's really a great thing. But let me just back up to chapter 8 just to review to bring us into the point where we are now. Um, Esther saves the Jews is the title of chapter 8, basically. Um, if you look at, um, well, let's go to, let's go to, I'm trying to find the part where, look at chapter, uh, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 7. Chapter 8, verse 7. And these are the three things that, that, that were demonstrated by the king that God orchestrated. Uh, so verse 7 says, Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, here's number one, I have given Esther the house of Haman. So talk about a complete role reversal, what Haman was trying to do was completely turned upside down. And his entire household, 
all his belongings, everything was then switched, just really switched right over to Mordecai. It was a 360. Um, as we continue, and they have hanged him in the gallows. That's number two. Haman was literally hung in the gallows on the stake, that big 75-foot stake they hung him on. That was supposed to be for Mordecai. Talk about a complete 360. God is amazing. And they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. So not only was Mordecai uh, spared from, from his life and Haman took the place on, on that uh, uh, spear, all of Haman's uh, responsibilities, all of Haman's royalties, he was number two man in the kingdom, that was given to Mordecai. So we have three things that occurred that were just completely, no, if, anybody, what he would, if anyone would have told uh, Mordecai and Esther in the very beginning of this book what would occur, I don't think they would have believed it. You can't be until you see it. So an amazing work of God's uh, miraculous hand through this whole thing, which is wonderful. So tonight's theme, and I wrestled with this quite a bit because I, I first thought about God's greatness, and God is great through all of this. We know that. But what I really focused in on is that his promises never fail. His promises, they, just, they never fail. His promises all through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, every promise comes true. They just don't fail. It's the one thing that we can fully and truly set our anchor in. It's not going anywhere. And so I want to just read something for you, and that's going to set the stage for, for, for what I mean by that. I'm reading to you, and you don't have to turn there. You can if you want to, Genesis chapter 12, if you want to go there. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make, you of, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Well, we saw that, didn't we? And in, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, and he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, and his brother's son, and all their possessions that they gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land, to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moray. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar from the Lord who appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel to the west and I on the east. And, he, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on, still going towards Negev. What we have here is a promise that the Lord gave, a promise that the Lord gave to Abraham that his people would inhabit the lands, would go forward, would, uh, would, would just continue on, regardless of all the things that... We, and then we know the entire story of 
what happens and all the trials and the Jews in the desert and all the things that happen. And then now we're, we're in exile and we're, we're be, and just at, in this book at the end of Esther here, at the end of it is really where the exile, I think the second, between the first and the second exile begins to return to Jerusalem. So that's the time frame. So even what Pastor Greg is preaching on really aligns very, very closely with this, these events. So the clouds begin to clear in this chapter. Things be, become, uh, well, clouds sounds like they're not clearing right now, but uh, that was a little, a little ironic. But, but in this chapter, the clouds are clearing. I talked last week about the, the, he's agreeing with, the darkness that we, we, we saw at the beginning with, with Mordecai and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and the, and the, and the sackcloth and ashes. And then we see how in this particular book, that progression where the clouds begin to, to separate and part, and you can see, you see the light coming through. And as we continue on, this chapter is just crazy, amazing how, how the Lord works in this. And uh, so this is, this, is, this is the wonderful thing. Now, this is interesting to me, and I love this. I, 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 I looked at something here in chapter, here we go. Let's go back to chapter 8 for a brief moment. I want to set something up for you. Chapter 5 of verse 8, and this is Esther appealing to the king after Haman was put to death and everything, was, was occur, everything occurred that was good. Uh, verse 5 on chapter 8 says, and, he, and she said, if it pleased the king and if it, I found favor in his sight, and if the king seems right before the king, or if this thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. And when I got to that, I thought, great idea. Just revoke it. Send it out. Stop it. But it wasn't possible. Now, it wasn't possible because that was just the way they did their government, right? But Judy Fisher last week came up to me. She pointed something out to me. As we go into this next chapter, and I love what she said, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, sorry, going to give you credit for this, but because I hadn't studied the next chapter. Clearly, she was way ahead of me on this one, but I love this. There was no way to revoke this. There was a way to come up with another edict that had to be sent out pretty quickly in time, but the battle was still going to happen. They were still going to be attacked. But because of that, in spite of that, with it not being able to be revoked, but the Jews were just allowed to fight back. Because when I saw that, I'm like, oh, they can just fight back? What, how, what's that going to happen? They're, they're, just, they're, they're, not a, they're not many a people. But for God's glory. And that's what Judy said, to show God's glory. Isn't that right, Judy? And that's an amazing thing. So just when you think things are completely stacked against and you think, well, gosh, what are we going to do now? Because we can't revoke it, but all we can do is just fight back? Will God, will we lose half our people? Will we lose some of our people? Will, will we, what, what will happen? Well, for God's glory, as we get through this next chapter, you'll see that God's glory will shine in a miraculous way. And so I'm excited to see that. And it was just so thankful that she pointed that out. And it's just a neat thing to see God's glory moving. So um, let's go ahead and begin in chapter nine. And we're just going to go through this text. I might try to get through it a little faster than normal because I want to do a quick, not a quick, I'm not going to say that. We might be here till nine or 10, but uh, I, I want to do an overview and, and, a, and just to, to wrap up the major themes that we have seen in Esther. So 
Let's begin in chapter 8, verse, I'm going to come back to chapter 8, just the very last sentence there. Remember this? And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews has fallen on them. What actually happened there is they saw God's hand moving so greatly that many of the people in the nations were converted to Judaism, basically. How neat is that? And we talked about that last week and how we can share things with unbelievers. What a great foot in the door to begin to share the gospel with someone. So that's a very exciting thing right there. So let's begin in verse 9, chapter 1. Now in the 12th month, which is, in the, which is the month of Adar on the 13th day of the same, and if you look back at 4.13, I think it says 4, chapter 13. Uh, no, it's not 4, it's 3. Anyway, we're going to continue. When the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. Is that not a theme in this entire chapter of things being completely reversed? Completely. Haman, Mordecai, you know, the escalation of, of, a, of a Jewish woman to be the queen. Like all these things were just flipped on their heads. So it says the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered, let's continue reading, the Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, and that's a, quite a huge region, to lay hands on those who sought, laying hands means obviously not laying hands on someone to pray, but to battle them, uh, who sought to harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all the peoples. Now, I want you to notice something here. This, uh, something else that's interesting in the book of Esther is one thing will occur, but then also another thing will occur. So not only as we go through this chapter will you see the Jews take up arms and be victorious, you'll see that the people also, so they, they rose up on the offense, the people, the, the, the people that were going to attack or other peoples shrunk down a bit. So two things happened at once to make this battle great, all for God's glory. So let's kind of continue on here. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps, which is another word for governor, although it says governor twice there, uh, governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews. Why did they help the Jews? For the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. Mordecai had risen to the top and fast. Mordecai was the number two man, and his he, was, he always had a prominent position. In fact, in, in this book, any time Mordecai is mentioned, he's, I believe, if not always, every single time he's at the gate of the king, which is basically a large area where he's going to be, uh, he, he has, he's privileged to information. So he had a certain status, but now here he is literally the number two guy underneath the king. And that's, that's, that's amazing. Uh, so they feared, they feared him. Look at verse 4. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. Again, that escalation. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, as, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. Basically, what that's saying is they got to do with vigor. They were able to battle and win with the same vigor that they were being attacked with. 
And so that was, that's, that's what that means there. So in Susa, which is where, where this whole thing takes place, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men and also killed Parshandantha and Dalphon and Aspatha and Poratha and Adalia, sounds like flower names, and uh, Aradatha and Parmashta and Arasai and Aradai and Vyazatha. Man, I need some water after that. That's quite a bit of, there's some interesting names. Then, oh, excuse me, the, and the sons, oh, I'm, let me back up again. As I looked at this, you wonder why they're mentioning all these, right? These are the 10 sons of Haman. So not only the 500 were killed, but why were the 10 sons of, of Haman killed, do you think? Sort of a rhetorical question. I know we're on, I know we're on live stream, but... So they took, could take revenge. This goes all the way back to the Amalekites. They, this, the term I love, when God decides to do something, blotted out. They were literally blotted out. They were taken off the map, out of history. And this, if you, the Amalekites, which is what they, they were the descendants of the Amalekites, Amalek was a grandson of Esau. So this line now was done. They were blotted out. And that, 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 the finality of blotted out really is a comfort to me when I know that my sins are blotted out. It's not that God, God's omniscient. God is omniscient. He does remember. He knows everything, so we can't say he forgets stuff. But he doesn't count them against us. They're blotted out. And it's just a, a really unique way to look at that. And, and just they're, 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 they're never again counted against us, you know. So that's just interesting. So, so, these, so these, these were the ten sons. So there was no, I mean, well, and God fulfilled his promise. So... This is interesting, uh, Hamadoth, the enemy of the Jews. Um, so, but they laid no hand on the plunder. The Jews laid no hand on the plunder. King Saul did, but these, this, they laid no hand on the plunder. Now look down at, 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 verse, uh, at the end of verse 15 again. But they laid no hands on the plunder. Down again in 16 at the end. But they laid no hands on the plunder. I love... Matthew Henry. I don't know if any of you ever heard of Matthew Henry. He, Matthew Henry is a theologian, a scholar from the Puritan era. And I, I just I, 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 I just want to read to you what he wrote about that. Because I'm like, well, why, why not? Why didn't they loot the land? Why didn't they do the things that the other people were supposed to do in their edict? Why, why not? Well, let me just read to you what, what, what he says about this. It says, the king's commission had warranted them to take the spoil of their enemies for a prey. Uh, ch chapter 8, verse, it's in Roman numerals. How do you read that? Okay. And a, and, a, and a fair opportunity they had for enriching themselves with it. But the Jews would not do so by them. Number one, because that they might to honor, to the honor of their religion, their faith in their God, evidence a holy and generous contempt of worldly wealth in imitation of their father Abraham, who scorned to enrich himself with the spoils of Sodom. Just let that soak in for a while. Number two, that they might make it to appear that they aimed at nothing but their own preservation 
That's interesting there. They trusted God and what God would do alone. They didn't feel they had to hoard. They knew God was a God of provision, a God of protection. So, And they used their interest at court for the saving of their lives, not for raising their estates. That's the reason. That's well, it's the second reason. He also says, I love the way this guy writes, uh, their commission empowered them to destroy the families of their enemies. Let, let me, let me re- reread that because I had, to, I had to go through that twice. Their commission did empower them to destroy the families of their enemies, even the little ones and the women, but their humanity forbade them to do that. They slew none but those they found in arms. In other words, those who were fighting against them. And therefore, they did not take the spoil, but left it to the women and the little ones. Herein, they acted with a consideration and compassion well worthy of imitation. That's beautiful. There's three reasons right there. Because I was reading, like, why didn't they take the spoils? Why didn't they? Three major reasons there. And so they, uh, you know, they didn't feel like they needed to take those to preserve themselves. They knew God would protect and preserve them. Uh, they were compassionate to the young. They didn't lay hands on them, only the men that were armed and that were fighting them. And then uh, because of what, what was scorned with, with Abram. So that was just kind of interesting. I thought that was, you know, when I look back at certain uh, theologians and commentaries, I love to hear what they say about things, and they typically align really well with, with most of the things we study. So, so let's pick it back up in verse 11 here. After this, after it says they, they laid no hand on the plunder, that very day the number of those killed in Susa the citizen was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citizen, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and also the 10 sons of Haman. What then have they done to the rest of the king's provinces? So he's looking for a report here. Now what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. What further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews... Let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also. Now, she's asking for a bonus round here. And notice she's asking a, a, a king that's not, he's a, uh, what we call, he's, he's a, uh, a pagan. He's not really a man of God. He's, he's a pagan king. It's King Xerxes, in case you didn't know. And his son is Artaxerxes, which, we, which Pastor Greg called Art. So this is all tying together. The, the, the art that Greg, Pastor Greg talked about this past weekend, that's this king's son, right? Who was, who, you know who bore that son, Artaxerxes? Queen Vashti, who was sent away. Very interesting when you tie these things together. It's like, oh, I get it now. This tree actually does, you know, weave together. And so it's neat. So, so this pagan king, Queen Esther is asking for another day tomorrow also to, to uh, according to the day's edict, and let, let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. I remember these are very tall gallows so everyone can see. So the king commanded this to be done. Now, what I find interesting here is that God uses a pagan king to blot out the Amalekites. God uses whoever he wants to do things. You know, I was talking with someone at the beginning of, of, uh, of Bible study and they're like, can you believe what's going on with this and that and things of this world and politics and all that stuff? And I'm telling you, if you don't understand and know that God will use even these wicked people, then 
it's a hard road to, to, to lead. It, it's a hard path to walk. If you don't trust and know that this, isn't, this is temporal, what, 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 what would you expect? These are this is politics. These are, this is entertainment industry. Well, could we expect anything more? No, we really can't. But we do know that God laughs at, 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 at the wicked. And he, he's, you know, he's not budging. He's not wringing his hands. And so, um, so God uses here this king, Xerxes or Ahasuerus, for his glory, for re removing and blotting out an entire race of people finalizing it that he said he would do. So that's really unique there. Um, so it says, and let the 10 sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa and the 10 sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were gathered in Susa, sorry, the Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were gathered in the king's provinces also, this is the rest of, this is outside of the gates, this are all the other uh, regions, uh, provinces, also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies. Got relief. I love that. I love the way, that needs to be a t-shirt. Got relief? You know, like, like yeah, my God will, relieve, will, will take care of me. Uh, got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who had hated them. You know, you think Think about history, even, mo even recent history, the 1940s, about what the, the Holocaust. And, you know, and yet God's people still continue, you know, the Jews. And now we're grafted in as Gentiles. And it's a neat thing to see. But, but just the, the, back then, they were hated. They were despised. But they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. On the 14th day, they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 14th, and, excuse me, gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that day of, did I just read that? Okay, <laughs> like a double thing there, of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. Now, here's where the Feast of Purim, Purim, however you want to say it, begins. This is this, is this fe feast that is, um, it's one of the last feasts that is, that is biblical that the Jews still do to this day, that, that they did here. And, the, and it's neat to see the name. We're going to figure out how they get the name, but... But um, this is sort of how, how it started. So when Mordecai recorded these, this is verse 20, things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year. And here's the beginning of the, the celebration. As the day on which the Jews got relief, there you go again, from their enemies. And as the month, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness. You remember that from last week? Sorrow into gladness, the sorrow that occurred in the, in the chapter 3, the sackcloth and ashes and the weeping and the, and the, and the wailing in this town. And then, and then, and, and then it, we get to, uh, I love this. So you get that picture from the, the, the sackcloth and ashes too. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. What a contrast. 
night and day, right? So uh, they went from mourning into glad, to into a sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday. They, they actually took the, the the trauma of that and again reversed it another 360 and turned it into a holiday. So I think that's a wonderful thing. That they should make them days of feasting and gladness. I'm just kind of coming here at the end of verse 22, uh, for sending foods of, and gifts of foods to one another and gifts to the poor. A lot of this is just a narrative and talking about this particular feast. Um, so here's why it was called Purim. This is sort of like it tells you why in verse 23. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do. In other words, we're absolutely, let's, let's, let's do this. And what Mordecai had written to them for Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pure. There, it's, there it is right there. So the lots that they cast to determine the day in which the Jews would be killed or slaughtered is the name that they used for the feast that they... Talk about taking something bad and turning it for good. That, so, so these lots that were going to actually be their demise, were, they took part of that word and made it into you know, the, the feast. And that's what was, to this day it's called that. Um, so verse 25, to crush and destroy them. But uh, in verse 25, but when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that, this, that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews would return on its own head. I love the way that says that. It says what, what, he, what he wanted to do was flip-flop completely upside down and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, here's the reason, uh, therefore they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Uh, therefore, because of all that is written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them. Uh, it's neat to, for me to see and read this book. It's very affirming because things that we go through in life, and we've talked about this a little bit last week, medical issues, family issues. You have people that in, in relatives that aren't believers, and we pray for them, uh, grumblings, complainings, all the things that can occur in our lives. And some of the key things we're going to see at the end here, as I, I'm not concluding yet, but towards the end, is that God is faithful. And again, it's that I keep coming back to this, is keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. And things are going to be tough and things are going to be hard, but just to see the beauty and the glory of God in this particular book, not just getting you out of the trouble, but taking you from the getting out of the neutral zone all the way to a positive zone in a way. So it's that, and, and God is so capable of doing that. And in things that might look difficult, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to navigate this? Just keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Keep your eyes focused. He is good. He's faithful. We know from his promises that he will... He will be there for us. He will take us. Now, I'm not saying life's going to be a, a bag of roses, a bag of cherries, box of cherries, bowl of cherries. It's not. We all know that. Things are difficult. We, we live in these, in, in these bodies that just are decaying, and, uh, and, and people are mean, and, and life's not always fair. Um, and I've learned over the last few years that I just want to read... This is just sort of a, 
a call that I'm making. Is it called an audible? I'm not a real big football guy, but I think it's what it's called, an audible. Um, a verse I've been dwelling on in the, in, in the recent days. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your own might. No, sorry. So see if you're awake. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His own might. I can't do this on my own. We can't do this on our own. We cannot manage this on our own. There is no way. These temporal frail bodies that, that are tossed to and fro with the waves, we can't do it. We have to, you have to have something external. I've learned that over the years because when you think you're going through trials and then you're like, and then things clear up, you're like, okay, I'm good now. But you know something else is coming. So you have to have something beyond yourself. You have to have truth that extends beyond what we know. That's our, that's our mooring. If you don't know what a mooring is, it's when you, you, there's, there's a solid anchors that are placed, and, and I'm just going to use a more contemporary line, but that, that in, in, a, in, a, in a bay or a, for, for a boats, they, they moor to, a, to something. And it can sometimes be to, to, to rocks or to, but oftentimes it's a, it's a, you know, a 6,000 pound concrete drop down into the, to, into the uh, bed of the floor with a thick solid chain that comes up and you moor your boat to that and you're not going anywhere. Your anchor may come undone that you throw yourself. When the winds come, it's gonna turn you and you're gonna swing wildly and it might even pull out of the sand and you're gonna be somewhere else. But when you moor yourself to something that's beyond you, then you're good. You're not going anywhere. And so when you try to rely on your own strength, you're not gonna make it. It's not gonna happen. You need to moor yourself on something beyond, something else, and that's in Christ. Just know that. That's just been something that's really been a blessing to me over the past few weeks. Um, well, let's continue on here. We're kind of getting really close because 10 is just a very small postscript, but let's come down here. I think we picked it back up. Uh, let's pick it up in 27. Uh, the Jews firmly ob obligated themselves to, and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail, that they would come to these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews. This was an honorable, an honorable celebration. Nor should the commemoration of these days cease among the descendants. Uh, Jewish people today still celebrate the Feast of Purim. Then Queen Esther, verse 29, the daughter of, of Abihail and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority confirming this second letter about Purim. They extended it for two days, basically. That's what it's referring to. Uh, letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. This is something that Esther actually incorporated in to the celebration of the feast. It's a, it's a time, I don't know how they feast and fast at the same time, 
but somehow they work it out. Maybe they feast fast a court uh, coming up to the front of it. Um, the co command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. Remember back in chapter, chapter 4, verse 15, Esther said, Esther, and said, Then Esther told them to go to, to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. This is when they were facing imminent danger and genocide. Hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will fast as you do. So here we have in the, fe in the celebration feast of, of Purim, you actually have what she wanted done. And that is the fasting and lamenting. Uh, so it's a very interesting uh, practice uh, that is still done today, the celebration of feast. As we get into 10, 10 is simply, it's a, nearly a postscript, but let's read that. A king Ahasuerus imposed a tax on the land. This is what he did. And on the coastal, coastlands of the sea, I think actually King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, I think it went about 10 years from this, he, he was, I think he was assassinated. So just to kind of give you an understanding of what happened there. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of, the, of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he, sp for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. As we look at the book itself, I, I tried to go back today and, and quickly just kind of get a glimpse of some of the major takeaways that I could leave you with tonight. And there's some really, there's a lot of things we can talk about and look at, but here's a few things, and you can write them down if you want to, but some of the major takeaways of this book, the key lessons, so to speak, is number one, as indicated and shown by Esther and Mordecai and the Jews, God desires our obedience our obedience, even during the trials, even in the good, you know, sometimes it's harder in the good times to be obedient because things are going great, you know, hey, I'm doing good, I'm good. have I read my Bible? Nope, but things are great, you know, and so to be obedient to his commands and how we're commanded to live because the obedience that we see through Esther and Mordecai really were the driving force be, 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 with all of this. They honored God and they were obedient in everything Mordecai did not bow. He only bows to God. Uh, Esther was obedient as, as a queen uh, and, and to her people and to the Lord. And so God desires our obedience. Number two, the second thing uh, is, and this is very, so evident, God is faithful to deliver those he loves. God is faithful to deliver those he loves. We see that through and through scripture. And if the, if the story of his people isn't enough, there's plenty of other stories. But God is faithful to deliver those he loves. God is faithful to deliver you. You are a child of God. You, are, you have found favor with the Lord, and he will deliver you. Sometimes we don't know how he's going to do it. Sometimes it might be rocky and tough, but he will deliver you. He will deliver you. Third thing, in darkness, in darkness, we must remain faithful. Faithful seems to be the predominant theme here. 
but in darkness we must remain faithful. Again, kind of going back, go back to the obedience part, it is easy to be faithful when things are going well. It's kind of, kind of a no-brainer, but when things get really heavy, um, you know, people are different in that, in that regard. Some people, when things are going really well, are really focused on obedience and being faithful. But oftentimes, quite the opposite happens for other people. You know, for me, some of my, my, my most richest times of spiritual growth have been in the hardest trenches of my life. And I'm sure um, by, the, by the nods and the, the heads, I can see that's probably been true in your life as well. God is faithful. In darkness, we must remain faithful. The last thing, I would love this to be on just a t-shirt, but um, God's promises never fail. I think we started with that. In fact, I think that might have been, yeah, that was actually my uh, title. God's promises never fail. God's promises never fail. Church, you can, you can rest in that. There's so much. If you believe that God truly, especially after studying some of these Old Testament passages, if you truly believe that God is sovereign, as demonstrated in what we read here, then do you really believe it? As we go through troubles and trials in our life, do you really believe that God is sovereign? Because if you do, there's a great comfort in that. It just takes, takes all the hardship out of the equation. If you can just rest in the Lord and cast your burdens on Him, uh, He will draw near to you. And, and, and God's sovereignty, some people don't like that word, God's sovereignty is the greatest comfort that, that I think we can, we can even comprehend as Christians and believers. God's sovereign. He will take care of us. His hand of provision is kind and good, and He has our best in mind when He, when he brings us through things. So I, I just want to affirm you with that. Know that. Trust in the Lord. Uh, he's good. He is a loving Father, and He has a plan for you. He truly does. Um, Let's go ahead and conclude in prayer. Father God, we, we love you. We are so thankful that we don't have to figure things out. Lord, thank you that we can rely on your strength and not ours. Because if it's on ours, we're, we're not going to make it. Thank you for being that external, constant Lord that we can always turn to, that will always be there for us. Thank you for your word that we can always turn to day or night Thank you for prayer, Father, how we engage with you in prayer, Lord, and, and honoring and lifting you up in your holiness and glory. Thank you for those who came tonight, Lord. I pray that you give us a break in the weather as we leave, Lord, if it's even raining. Take people home safely, Lord, and bring them together, back together with us as we celebrate and glorify you on Sunday. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.